Manny, the reason we wound up connecting to have this conversation was I threw out there on one of the morning sessions, I was thinking about, you know, pre-sales, is there an opportunity? It seems like downtown Vancouver, things have calmed down, they've quieted down, and some of the developers are offering as little as, I've seen 8% deposit down. So you probably negotiate as little as 5% deposit on, a, on a, something closing two years, three years from now. And where's the market gonna be two to three years from now? If you're like me, you probably believe it's gonna be higher than it is today. It's probably gonna be stronger than it is today, certainly in downtown. And with that little bit, you reached out to me and you shared a little bit uh, about what you're doing. So talk to us, Manny. What are, what are, you, what are you doing with, in, in the real estate investment space yourself? So, so the, the reason I came into mortgage brokering, so one of why it felt natural progression for me is because as a nurse that makes over $100,000 a year, and just like you pointed out in one of your um, segments, uh, I am married to a nurse that makes $100,000 a year. So that couple that has that uh, residual income that's me, right? So uh, a friend at work, actually another nurse that is a member of RAIN, um, told me about real estate investing and I started investing and investing and investing. So I'm a real estate investor besides being a nurse and besides being a mortgage broker now, I have my own portfolio going uh, and, it's, and it's going well. So then one of the things that I started looking into was pre-build. And when you talked about pre-build and should you do it, should you not, uh, I would say yes, but it is, this is, and, and you know, I wrote it to for myself here on a, on a little piece of paper, so I won't forget. It's very speculative, right? And that's the first thing I wrote. Like this is something that uh, you don't know if the market is gonna go up and the market is gonna go down. If the market goes down, which in, Lower mainland BC not, never does. You're not going to fare well in in doing something like a, a pre-build. Well, Manny, let me let me just quickly unpack something along that line. So first off, uh, Rain Rain is an acronym R E I N for Real Estate Investment uh, Real Estate Investment Network. Yeah, and, uh, I, I remember going to those uh, way back when Don Campbell was hosting the events, and it was it was very much like a night school. Like I was learning a lot as a brand new broker, I enlisted wherever I could in, in all these different uh, groups and events. And, and that was a national network and, and a lot of great material, in particular for newer brokers, just learning nuances and understanding uh, how real estate investment works and being able to speak the language of real estate. I felt like it helped, it helped boost my confidence ultimately. In Vancouver, there's another group called the Real Estate Action Group, REAG, and that one's hosted, uh, founded and hosted most nights by Ozzy Jurok. And I've gotten to know Ozzy really well personally over the years. And one of the things he always talks about is, you know, whether you're a shark or a flipper or whether you're going to be a long-term investor. He had a different word and it's just escaped my mind. I didn't know we were going to go down this path. But I think with pre-sales, like that's a very important thing to understand. Are you looking at buying pre-sale contracts to just flip the contracts? You know, is, is that what it's about? Or are you a long-term buy and hold investor? Personally, I've always played the longer game, uh, never as long as I advise people to, right? Like best investment advice ever, 
never sell any piece of real estate ever. And you'll do wonderfully. Just refinance and buy another one. Refinance and buy. Like that's that's the best advice. I wish I'd followed it myself, but emotion gets the better of us a lot of the time. But the pre so the pre-sales I was looking at from my personal perspective, it was very much long-term strategic thinking. And also bringing in my 20-something children saying, look, you guys have saved up a down payment, but due to the government, you know, just attacking first-time home buyers and, and young people in general, you no longer qualify. You would have in 2017, no problem. You could have actually bought a place with your income and credits and down payment, but now you've been regulated out of the market, not priced out, regulated out. So how about we go in together? And maybe we do it on a on a long-term pre-sale and, and try and play that that market angle. So so there, that's a little bit the angle I'm coming from. When you talk about pre-sales or pre-builds, are you looking at it similarly or are you looking at more of the, the, the opportunity to flip the contract, flip the property? So what I've seen and, and I actually wrote it to myself here as well is have a plan A, B, and C. So um, what I've seen with uh, a few of my clients, they, they bought the place, not an attractive place, in a complex that I would never touch. And in the course of two years holding it, on a $300,000 property, they made $90,000 worth of profit after it was all said and done. So, and again, this is an area I would never buy into. It has not attractive, not on not close to jobs, not close to SkyTrain, not close to anything. I, and it still did well. And I was I was actually very surprised how well it, it did. So then I started looking into some pre-builds myself and say, okay, what can I do with this? Um, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to hear that in Vancouver, it's 5% down because here in Surrey, it's 15, right? So well, one, one development, as I said, was 8% they were down to. Yeah. yeah, so that that's great because usually it's around fifteen percent that you have to put down, and uh, for me specifically, I don't have the fifteen percent to put down, so that's a debt I need to service until it actually completes. So you have to factor that into the numbers, and it still makes sense, right? But just like you said, what are you going to do with it? So. Uh, for, Luckily for me, because I have a portfolio already, I do have properties that may be underperforming. So I might either sell that underperforming property in order to complete on the others and keep them as hold and, and rent. Uh, if I won't be able to, I might just complete with a private lender for a small period of a short period of time and then sell it. And the numbers are saying that and I actually broke all the numbers down if, if we really want to get into the nitty gritty of it, but, oh. I think we'll, we'll, we'll try and keep it kind of high level here because, uh, yeah, it's it's you can get lost in the weeds and we, we get into the numbers. I mean, I think the general sentiments are important to get out there. Uh, so so as I say, I and, and you're touching on, I've never bought anything that I couldn't envision living in. And, I, and, I, and if I'm going to have, uh, you know, my, my kids go in with me on a partnership on something, um, I want them to envision that I want the same mindset. I want them to be able to envision living in it. So that's that's the first part. Like worst case, if I had to sell everything else what, and keep this one, would I live here? 
So, yeah. so that's an important factor in, in my opinion, because if you're buying property in a neighborhood with amenities and services that work for you, odds are they work for a lot of other people too. So that's probably a win. And um, the other thing that I think is super important to touch on is the developer. Who, who is the developer behind this development? Not just the company, but the individual people and doing a little bit of research, which is a lot easier to do these days with social media and everything else. And just seeing like, what are the other projects they've completed? What's the feedback from the people who own those units today? Uh, are they having like all the windows replaced? Are they having huge building, uh, you know, envelope issues? Like what's going on with those buildings? Were they quality builds? And then of course you still have to, even if you make the right decision, it's a big company, everything's wonderful. There's still that wild card, which of course, just in Langley recently, fire, right? Yeah, so, I, actually wrote, I actually wrote it down here. Hope the building doesn't burn down. Yes, yeah, <laughs> completion. So now, so that set everything back another year, year and a half. Plus, how much insurance were they carrying? Look at the cost of materials, the cost of lumber, where it was to what it is now. My gosh, are they going to be able to afford to put that structure back up? Like, there are some serious risks within this. And the other one, too, you touch on, uh, very important, can you complete? Yes. Do you have a way, can you see the path to financing this property? And even if you can complete, you know, if the market softens, uh, okay, great, you can complete. Now, how long can you carry it for? These are very important considerations. And by the way, the reason rental mortgages, rental property mortgages are so difficult to get is because they represent about 80% of the foreclosure activity that's not related to the people actually being deceased. So of the people who are alive, like by, by, in Canada, a lot of the foreclosures are actually people who are deceased. Mm -hmm. like that's who's being foreclosed on. They, there's no 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 surviving heir, no family member to pick it up, and so that so it goes through a foreclosure process to the estate. Like we have such a, a low low number of foreclosures in Canada, but a disproportionate number of them are investment properties. Whereas investment properties as mortgages represent only 4% of the typical lender's portfolio. So if you're doing something that only represents 4% of your income, but it represents, let's say, 65% of your headaches, why do you yeah, keep doing that? Do that. And that's why we see lenders just saying, no, 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 or they put the barriers up higher and higher and higher. So it's, it's not easy to be a real estate investor in Canada, not by a long shot. Well, and it's still easy enough that even an immigrant after 12 years in Canada can be an investor. That's <laughs> so, right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you dig in. As well. yeah. yeah, if you dig in and go looking for the answers, right? Yeah, sure. it was a lot of digging in it, for sure. A lot of a lot of hours of reading, a lot of uh, conversations with people who's done who've done it. And by all means, you know, I, I'm not an investor that I don't have buildings in 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 Edmonton. I have a friend that has buildings. I, I don't have buildings. I have my few little condos here and there. Um, and and that's another thing that is worth mentioning is that I keep my investment very very close to home. I know that there's a lot of people that invest in other markets, right? Because our market, 
rarely makes sense now in terms of how much you have to put down and what's your break even on the property. Uh, 20% used to be okay. You'd put 20% down and the rent would pay all the rest and it worked. It's no longer the case in, in lower mainland BC, I, I believe. So people say, well, go to another market. Yeah, if you go to Edmonton, you can have a cash flowing property right now, right from the get go. But then the headache of managing a tap that is leaking when you're a province away and you have a property manager that gets kickbacks from his plumber or whatever, and then you started bleeding money really, really fast. Yeah. Or, or trying to do an open house. The cash flow can turn negative quite quickly. Right. So, so I like the type of investment investor that I am. All my investments are like 15 minute drive. That's that's my rule of thumb. You're speaking my language. You're speaking my language. I've I've been the same way. The same way. Yeah, I've always kept it. I won't say 15 minutes, but but inside 45 minutes. Yeah, I need to be able to get into the car and go and see what the problem is. Knock on the door. How are you doing? Take care of my tenants, and. and I, I even made a, I made one contract with a tenant, a contract for three years, it's the, the longest that I've done, with the promise that that tenant will never leave that home, ever, because she's 95 years old. <laughs> and she said, Manny, I can't move any more places. And she rented a place, got renovated, rented another place, got renovated. And I said, friend, you will pass away in this home. You will never get evicted. It's my best performing property, and I'm not touching it. You know, Manny, you t- you, so I, again, like this isn't a pre-planned conversation. I had no idea you were going to drop that little tidbit out there. Um, but it plays into something really, really important and challenging for people to deal with as a landlord. As a landlord, you're instantly seen as some kind of multi-millionaire horrible human being out to grind every last nickel out of your fellow man. And the opposite couldn't be closer to the truth. Like, like, no, no. Like we're generally people who maybe don't have pensions at all, or don't have necessarily a pension that we think is going to carry us all the way through. Or even if the pension is going to carry us through, you know, we, we just, we are earning a little bit of extra money. We do have a little bit of extra money to invest somewhere. And uh, we don't feel comfortable with the stock market. We don't feel comfortable just letting it sit in the bank and give us a rate of return lower than inflation. So we, we look at real estate and it feels familiar and safe and secure. And to your point, we invest in one, two, three little tiny condominiums or townhouse units, You know, something like a little box in the air. It's generally a, a one bedroom a one bedroom and den property. It's a lot of individual investors. That's what they start out with. That's what they stick to a lot of the time. And and we want tenants who will be there forever. And the number of times that, that my clients who were investor clients have said the words, oh, I know I could get more. I know the market rents are higher, but they're such a great tenant and I just want to keep them there. I want to keep them happy, happy life for them, happy life for me. Like, we're not a bunch of bloodthirsty, cutthroat, you know, profit at all expense. And, and the significant amount of housing that is provided, you know, like you said, I mean, the Fran's been renovated twice at least. And, and there you are saying, you know what? I got you. Like, yeah. 
Yeah, that story, Manny, will never make the cover of the newspaper, right? And, and you know, and where would all those people leave if there were not real estate investors buying condos for rent? Like we're already talking about a market that has zero vacancies, absolutely zero vacancies, right? Yep. So if you're not providing, I, I always think that real estate investors are not part of the problem because people are like, oh, because they're buying all those condos, condos are not affordable. Well, qualifying for a mortgage is hard. And a lot of those people didn't qualify and some of them will never qualify. So if there are, if there's not private money, my money going into the market to buy that, put that 20% down on that real estate investment, where would those people leave? I, I think, I really think that I am part of the solution for the housing crisis, not part of the problem. Yeah, right? I mean, it, it, it cuts both ways because on the one hand, uh, we are collectively saying we have a supply problem and that is what's driving prices up. But let's look at the markets we're talking about. Detached homes, that's where the prices have gone bonkers. And the overwhelming majority of detached homes, way into the high 90, 90s percentage-wise, are owner-occupied. They're not owned by investors. They're not owned by foreign buyers sitting vacant. Those are, those are the anecdotal tidbits that make the news, and that's what people hear about. But 95% plus of detached homes are owner-occupied in Canada. That, that's without question. When you get into very specific neighborhoods, you, maybe you get down to 90 or 85% or something like that. But, but as a nation, it's high 90s. And yes, individual investors are buying one-bedroom condos. But those are a lot more plentiful. And to your point, I mean, the prices of one-bedroom condos, they're going up primarily due to the costs of materials and labor and land. Not so much, you know, the overwhelming, there's not bidding wars for one-bedroom condos for the most part. The bidding wars are detached houses, to a lesser extent townhouses, three-bedroom condos, perhaps. But overwhelmingly, if you look at the major markets in Canada, the, the two major urban markets that are in particular, Toronto and Vancouver, there's no bidding battles going on for one-bedroom condos. Yet, no, yeah, not, not in Abbotsford, not in Surrey. Like, yeah, I had a client losing a, a deal just uh, a few weeks ago, but you know, he lost the first one, but he, he got the other one. Like, it, it wasn't, you know, 20 offers or. 25 properties. It took a couple, which is okay. It's okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's a convoluted topic, but Manny, ultimately, uh, I appreciate you sharing some of your philosophies and experience on it. And um, yeah, pre-sales. I mean, we didn't we didn't go super deep on that, but I think we hit the very important high notes. Understand who the company is, who the builder is behind the pre-sale understand the area that you're buying in. Is it close to transit and, and not too close to transit, right? There, I, I remember the, the term, the donut. You wanna be in the donut around the transit station. You don't wanna be 50 meters from the transit station. You wanna be more like 500 meters, you know, a comfortable short walk in our rainy winters. Uh, yeah. And then you don't wanna be more than like a kilometer away because now you're just getting too far away. But that's, that's a prime, prime spot, that sort of donut around uh, transit and and would you live there 
would you live in that property? If you wouldn't live in that property, why are you buying it? <laughs> yeah, so I, like um, the two properties that I'm looking into right now are properties that I'm actually considering by the time they, they're completing two years from now to at least one of them. Maybe I might sell one of them, but I might keep the other one or I might keep one as a rental and one, uh, my son is now 18 and a half. So by the time those complete, he'll be 21. So maybe put one of them on his name and, you know, giving that kickstart that he needs, right? That's yeah. enough. And it's on transit. It's like on a, a rapid transit uh, line. Just like you said, it's two, uh, two streets away. Uh, it's between two major urban areas in Surrey. So Guilford on one hand and Surrey Central on the other hand five minutes out to the, uh, not even five, like a minute and a half out to the highway. All the major employers are in the area. Like you can't really go wrong with a property like that. But you know, it all circles back to, to, to wrap this segment up. If we, if we go back to part one, we talked about confidence. Confidence comes largely from experience. You yeah. just got to get doing the thing and the more you do the thing, the easier the thing becomes, ultimately. Whether it's chin-ups, making 10 calls a day, recording your own voicemail, or purchasing an investment property. I mean, ultimately, I think every mortgage broker in Canada should have to go through a purchase every single year just to remind them how stressful the process actually is, right? I mean, it's, uh, I'm, I'm going through, I'm about to go through it again myself. And uh, yeah, it's like, oh, geez, yeah, I got to get that together and that together. And it's collecting uh, all the documents. Yeah. And, and, then, and then even five documents. That's right. And, and, and even as optimistic as we are about the future and everything else, hey, Manny, I'd be lying if I didn't say that there's a few nights I'm laying in bed thinking to myself, like, are interest rates going to spike? No, of course they're not. There's not. There's a, no rational reason for is it a bubble? No, it's not a bubble. I mean, look at the Scotia report estimating the housing, the structural housing shortage, right? A, somewhere between 100,000 and 2 million units short on supply. Okay, okay. But could something go wrong? Oh, well, of course something could go wrong, but man, you got to move forward, man. Just do it. And uh, so we all have, you know, the, the, the angel and the demon on the shoulder, right? There was a nice book I, I, I listened to a long, long time ago. I, I don't remember the name of the author, but so it was a very short one. Uh, feel the fear, but do it anyways. Yeah, you feel the fear, but you, you shouldn't let it stop you because the, the fear is not based on anything. It's, it's totally emotional, right? Man, you've just given me the title for both of these segments. Feel the fear, do it anyways. Yeah. I love it. Well, I, I, I think it's great that we uh, are clearly both in the hair club for men and uh, we both got our stylish glasses and our blue shirts. That was not planned, but here we are. I want to wish you a wonderful day. I want to thank you for giving us uh, 50 minutes of your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, I think we got thank two a lot of people will benefit from. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Thank you, Manny, and good luck with the rest of 2021. And again, thank you for all the work that you're doing, not just in the brokering, but in the ICU, man. That's uh, that's very, very important as well. Thank you. Cheers. We'll see you again. See everybody tomorrow. Bye.